Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's our privilege again to welcome you to this program. And today we are going to talk about uh, the crucibles that comes. Last week we look into the shepherd's crucible. But I would like to welcome our panel now. And uh, Brenton, it's good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick, and what a privilege it is to be able to share this uh, Bible study with everybody. And Joe, thank you for joining. Yeah, thank you, Nick. It's always a delight to be with the panel. Will, thank you for being part of this too. Thank you, Nick. I'm learning as we go. And Lija, thank you for joining. I feel very privileged every time. Praise the Lord for that. Len, thank you for uh, joining too. Oh, as always, thank you for your welcome and hello, listeners. And Ken, it's good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. It's always a privilege to be here. Now, uh, Ken, um, thank you for putting together this uh, Bible study and you are going to facilitate this. Uh, Please take us through. Thank you, Nick. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this week's study entitled The Crucibles That Come. Or another way to put it, the challenges that arise in our lives. Last week, we learned what a crucible was, a vessel or container for melting substances which require very high heat, or another example, a place or situation which concentrates forces indirect to cause or influence change or development. These definitions also give us a helpful insight into what happens in our spiritual lives. And in this study we will look into some reasons why we find ourselves under pressure and experience problems in places in which these circumstances cause us to change, develop and grow in character. This will help to give us an awareness of what God is doing in our lives so that when we find ourselves in an uncomfortable situation or crucible, we may have a better idea of how to accept the situation and how to manage or respond to it. But before we start, I'm going to ask Lita to open in prayer. Glorious Father in heaven, we're coming before you in the name of Jesus to thank you so much for this new opportunity to learn from your richness of your word. Father, thank you so much that you love us and you care for us. Thank you that you want to teach us steps to learn uh, in becoming experts in the personal crisis that we're facing for uh, our personal spiritual refinement. Father, please bless each one of us with your Holy Spirit and place your Holy Word and truth in our hearts and minds to understand it and apply it in our lives every step of the way. Father, thank you so much for everything that you do for us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Thank you, Leitcha. Well, problems that arise in our lives. Well, should it surprise us when we come to Jesus that we seem to have trials that come upon us? Can I find a beautiful answer in First Peter 4, verses 12 and 13, which says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. 
but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Challenges and trials develop discipline in our lives, and it's this focused discipline that teaches us self-control. We discover self-control is part of God's great plan for man's recovery from the ruin and degradation of sin. It serves, as it were, a refiner's fire that purifies our characters. In fact, James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 puts it plainly, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Thank you, Will. I'm not sure if everyone would appreciate that, except enjoy when they have trials, but if we see behind the screens, it says so much more to it. Joe, did Jesus have something to say about problems as well? Well, yes, he did. Um, if I just may read from Matthew sixteen twenty four, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, Ken, this has been interpreted in many ways, and to some it may mean that Christians, if they're serious about following Christ, need to give up all their property to the poor and become destitute themselves, endure self-inflicted privations, deny themselves every comfort, pleasure, and joy that God had intended for them to have in life. And we know that some religious orders have majored in this. Some have even gone to the extreme of taking on a vow of silence. I don't know how one is to proclaim the goodness of the Lord if they um, haven't spoken for years. Yet I don't believe that this is what it means. Self-denial, I believe, strikes at the heart of self-centeredness and selfishness, something that we are all familiar with, self-absorption. Self-denial is to deny the sinful self. It is not seeking personal glory, the approbation of the world, aspiring to wealth and reward when in competition with Christ. Self-denial is yielding self-control in my life to God completely, not holding on to my own agenda or my own dreams or my own way of living in the world when in conflict with Christ's principles or kingdom. And then taking up the cross to me means a willingness to suffer shame, ridicule, persecution, or whatever comes for Jesus, not being ashamed to be a follower of Christ, even when it isn't popular or acceptable by the masses. So here we have what it means to be a Christian. Now, it's not an easy process, and in in this process we'll probably find some difficult times and opposition and doubt and self-doubt and doubt from others. And so um, if we cling to the Lord, we will be safe. Jesus also uh, warns warns his disciples in John 16, 33, um, that it won't be easy. He says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. He doesn't say you may, you may not. He says you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So this gives us encouragement that um, no matter what happens, whatever we might be going through, uh, Jesus is with us, and he has overcome the world. Therefore, um, we too can follow him. Thank you, Joe. That was a really good explanation. Nick, you have something for that one? Yes, Ken. Um, I'd just like to also go back for a moment on the passage which Will was um, sharing with us, uh, because 
it really opened my uh, my view, you know, or my eyes. Because it says, beloved, do not think it is strange concerning, you know, the fiery trials which you may experience. We can always fall into that temptation of uh, saying, oh, that, this doesn't mean this or that. As George just said, you know, there are people who may go to different lengths in terms of uh, renouncing to themselves or punishing themselves even, thinking that it's important to suffer for Christ. But actually what it is here, it's reminding us that we will suffer, as Joe just said, we will suffer, not that we may suffer. And why will we suffer? Because the consequence of sin is death. It's suffering. It's all those things. Now, Jesus came and he sorted out that mess which we started. But he's also telling us that the enemy is continuing to attack and to do whatever it takes to disturb us. That's why when we are suffering, that's not to question God's presence in our life or to question God's interest in our well-being. When we suffer, we need to be prepared and confident that the one who overcome sin, Jesus Christ, is with us. And he will take us through all those challenges. I think this is the good lesson which we should take on board rather than to place ourselves in that position of questioning if he's if God is with us or not, because we are suffering now, or because we have uh, loss, or we, we, we struggle with things. No, we, we need to understand and allow that to flourish in our life, the presence of God, and to say, whatever it takes, I will go with my Lord forward. Thank you, Nick. Brenton. Uh, just uh, a brief comment on the second verse that Joe read on John sixteen thirty three. These things that I have spoken to you and may you may have peace in the world, you will have tribulation. The actual um, direct uh, Greek translation of that is in this world, you will literally have pressure. I think we know what that is, Ken. <laughs> oh, that's a really good point, Bridge. Thank you for explaining that one. We know Jesus himself had a difficult time on earth, even though he was the son of God and had power to do anything. He lived as a man to show he understood the problems we encounter, like those who would come after him. Brenton, would you share with us a bit more on fiery trials? Well, I can share in the context, I guess, of... um what Will read earlier on, I'm not going to reread the text, but um, it's interesting that he talks us about the fact that we shouldn't be surprised about suffering. Um, fiery trials, um, as you alluded to, I think uh, Ken earlier in the uh, in the introduction, and also last week, um, the smelting process gets rid of the dross and separates the genuine from the the not-so-genuine. But in the context of what Peter wrote to us, the Christians lived in an area in Rome known as the Circus Maximus. Now, what's interesting about this is that there was an intermingling of Jews and Christians within that area. In AD 64, we had the Great Fire of Rome, which burned for a total of nine days and destroyed two-thirds of the city. 
the emperor at the time was a guy by the name of Nero. I think just about everyone's heard of him. And uh, even though he is blamed even by uh, historians from that period for setting the fire himself, he managed to put the blame on the Christians, not the Jews, because there were thousands of Jews in Rome. The Christians were a small group and they could be targeted more easily. Now, the end result of all of that was that these people who lived in this area, interestingly enough, uh, when the fire burnt through Rome, it didn't burn through any of the area that the Christians were living in. I found this very, very interesting when I was reading Tacitus on the subject, and uh, he, he alludes to the fact that some of the Christians rejoiced over the fact that Rome was burning because they believed um, uh, theologically that Rome was uh, Babylon, and therefore they were quite happy to see Rome burn. And the end result of all of that was that they were brought into the stadium they were dressed in uh, animal skins and wild dogs tore them apart. Some of them were used as lamps to light the um, human lamps, to light the, uh, the Colosseum or the uh, stadium where they were. And the end result of all of that was that Peter was crucified upside down. Tacitus refers to this in his um, historical record of this. So Peter is obviously writing this prior to his death, but he's saying don't be surprised that these things will happen and that you should prepare for them. Not only should you prepare for them, but you should accept them as part and parcel of life. Now, just in closing, did you know that last year nearly 6,000 Christians worldwide were murdered or executed for their faith? And currently there are 360 million Christians worldwide who are being persecuted for their faith. So I think as we approach the rest of this study, there's some interesting things to think about. Well, Brent, that was really, really interesting. Uh, fascinating looking back in history and just to see what's actually there. And uh, unfortunately, as we're looking at Christian suffering, definitely it's uh, not a nice thing to have to do. Ben, would you like to expand on this? Yes, well, some people uh, might get the impression that being a Christian means that you're going to have a lot of trouble in your life, and that's probably true. I would like to suggest that being a Christian is like being a garden of roses. (laughs) Amongst the roses, the beauty of the flowers, the sweet perfume, there will also be thorns. We have to understand that uh, there are thorns in our lives, whether you're a Christian or not. Although sometimes when you look at the other side, you think, well, how come these people are cruising through life with no difficulties? Well, it's never really like that. King David had this experience. He was looking at the non-Christians and he said, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong, and then he goes on. Later on, when he's got that off his chest, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth has nothing I desire beside you. So really it's a matter of priorities. If you choose to be a Christian, to serve God, and to be somebody who will be given eternal life, It will mean there are times when you have to suffer, or should I say we will have to suffer for our faith. But in comparison to what the Lord promises the faithful, it's nothing. 
And some people take things very simply. They say anything good that uh, happens to me is from God and anything bad that happens, that's from Satan. Well, it's not always like that. Sometimes neither God or Satan is involved. For example, you might drive, be driving along and, and somebody does something and you have an accident. You can't attribute that to God or to Satan. But there are, of course, instances where you can. You know, there's a movement, a fairly strong movement in Christian circles known as the prosperity gospel. Now, it's all about selfishness and getting money, but there's a spin-off from it because people think that they will get lots of money and be very blessed by God and won't have to undergo any difficulties in their life if they subscribe to this prosperity gospel. I can tell you now it's a load of garbage and you shouldn't fall for that because it comes from motivation of selfishness. To get rich, what we should do is make our priority to serve God and to be faithful to him. And whether we have to suffer for it or not doesn't really matter that much. We could expect it, and I think perhaps everybody on the panel today has had to suffer in some way for their faith, been deprived of certain things or whatever. But that's not important. What is important that we, if we are faithful, the Lord promises that he will give us eternal life. And to weigh that up against the few little things that may happen to us along the way in this life, there's just no comparison. Well, can we have made reference so far of uh, fiery trials and uh, the furnace and so on? The whole thing of the smelting process uh, in a crucible um, I'm interested in that because my dad was a gold miner and I uh, took a look on the internet this morning to discover a little bit more of the meaning of the word annealing and smelting. Mm. And I was amazed to see the answer. It says, in the world of manufacturing, heat treatment of metals is generally used and it is a precisely controlled process. Notice that a precisely controlled process. Heating and cooling. Heat treatment does not only make the metal harder, but it also makes it softer too. The softening allows metals for working operations such as cold forging, machining, deep drawing, and many more. The hardening is for the tougher tasks. And I thought that was so relevant to our Christian experience. Good point, Will. Thank you, Will. Nick? Yes, uh, Len has a comment which really stirred my uh, thinking, kind of, uh, because uh, Len mentioned a thing that we are tempted, or many people look at um, what happened in life, that's either from God or from the, the devil. And Len said, well, probably you may have an accident or something like that, which may not be involved either God or Satan. Myself, I have a different view on that, on a personal experience. And also, I like to point something in the Bible, because we learn that Jesus says, I came to give you life in abundance, but the enemy, the Satan, is only to kill and destroy, which personally, I believe that we are no way in the middle. Either we are affected by the rage 
of the devil, the Satan enemy, or we are led by the grace of God. We cannot be in between because we live in this war zone. And when you are in war zone, you are affected by whatever happened in that war. So true. Leecher, in Jeremiah 9 and verse 7, God tells us he's going to refine and test Judah and Jerusalem. What reason did he give for this? As we read in Jeremiah um, chapter 9, verse 13 and 14, it says that the Lord said, because they have forsaken my law, which I said before them, and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it, but they have walked according to the dictates of their own hearts and after the bars which their fathers taught them. So it means disobedience gives God the reason to discipline us, to refine us and purify us. But the question is, are we accepting this discipline? this refinement to become like God. Thank you, Leecha. Is there another reason we have trials? Will, would you answer this one? Yes, the Bible has an answer here as well, Ken. First Peter 5 verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. I think we need to remember that anyone choosing to live for God will soon learn that the devil will throw in many pitfalls and stumbling blocks. And this is all in the effort to turn them away from following the Lord. Satan also plans that all these challenges will embitter us, embitter us to the extent of blaming God for our misfortune and labeling him as unfair and vindictive. That is why I've heard people say, if there is a God, why is there so much suffering in the world? I think if we could draw the curtain aside, we would see a very busy lion seeking to kill and devour. Well, that's that's an amazing message. That Satan is roaming around this earth, looking to see who he can deceive and conquer. I wonder how many people believe this or even know what is going on around them. We often see on the news some incident has happened and they call it an act of God. But in reality, it has been Satan that has caused the problem or disaster in the first place. Joe, how do we know this? Well, we know from scripture, don't we? Um, When Adam and Eve doubted and disobeyed God in the garden, they in effect relinquished their planet to a fallen angel. Some know him as Satan and the devil. We may remember an incident with Job. Now, we've discussed this a little while back in our discussions, where at a heavenly council, God asks Satan, where have you come from? And he says, from walking up and down the earth, implying that this was his rightful jurisdiction. Now, we know that Satan wreaks havoc, and God, unfortunately, has already been said, gets all the blame for when terrible things happen. And this has been happening all along history. And we know from the Bible that Jesus himself encountered Satan many times during his ministry. I think it'd be, in in fact, I'd be right to say that it would be fair to say that Satan and his angels, evil angels, dogged Jesus' every step and laid traps for him at every opportunity. One such incident 
were the temptations of Jesus or temptations of Christ. One temptation was for Christ to fall down and worship him and that Satan would give it all back to Christ without him needing to go to the cross. Why suffer unnecessarily? I can. I'll read this from Scripture, Luke 4, verses 5 to 7. The devil led him up to a high, that is Jesus, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant, in a flash, all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Point being that even Jesus wasn't free from the harassment of Satan. Nietzsche then, Lynn? We observe that Satan is compared here, as uh, Pastor Grobler said, uh, with the lion. It's very interesting that was chosen the comparison of this animal, lion. Lion is a predator of, of very massive weight. He can hunt even bigger animals than, than, than him, but he doesn't excel uh, in a long run and doesn't resist a long distance run. So lion is a nocturne animal, so he hunts nighttime, usually uh, in dawn time. So he stays all day long lying around and sleeping 20 hours, but, you know, just a few hours he is hunting. He stays and watch, so to catch a vulnerable prey who is not aware that around there there is a predator. Uh, the key moments are the first seconds when the lion is surprising its prey. And if the prey is not vigilant to observe in time, its predator to escape and run is going to be caught. So the lion's success is in his first 45 to 100 meters because he's not a long runner resistant animal to resist a long run. He's just a short runner. So there are a few keys here. So he roams around the, the prey. He f- tries to frighten us. And as we see in our days, he frightens us with many, many, many things. And he attacks. But we know that God does not permit the devil, the lion, in all our lives. We have just critic moments when the devil roams around, but if we resist the devil, if we observe that he roams around us to attack us, and if we resist, he will flee away from from us. So these are the keys. uh, I found out that they are very interesting keys to teach us how we can confront the devil, how can we resist the devil, for him to flee away from us. I just look at an interesting point that a number of our panel have mentioned, and that's gardens. Where we live, we've got beautiful roses in our garden, and we've got quite a lot of them. And as most of you would know, roses, they look beautiful generally. They have a beautiful scent generally, and they really brighten anything up. However, one of the things we notice is that when you go to prune these roses, you often get a spike or a thorn in your hand, and it can be very, very painful. And it reminded me, actually, of the Christian life in a way. As we look in this world, the world itself is a beautiful place, 
the only problem is that there's mankind and what he's done. And it's a bit like the rose and the thorns. On one side, you've got Jesus, and the other side, you've got sin. And the world is unfortunately very much like that. Len, you wanted to mention something. Yes, I'd just like to refer back to what Joe was saying about the fact that the devil is very active in the world. In fact, I was reading a story yesterday about a man who was devil-possessed, and he stayed that way for a long time. But eventually, through the power of God, um, the devil was put at bay. The question is, who will Satan target his efforts against? Well, he's not going to target the people who's or, who already uh, are his friends who do his bidding. He's going to target the people who are opposite to him, those who serve the Lord. And so in the Christian life, as far as the devil is concerned, that's where he's interested in placing his efforts. It's no good him placing his efforts in the people he's already got. And so as Christians who serve the Lord, we can expect to have opposition in our lives. Brenton. Yes, it's interesting, um, Ken. So far we've looked at opposition mainly from an external perspective. I think opposition also uh, comes internally, as uh, Len has said very, very um, ably, uh, from the devil himself, I immediately thought of this text, which I want to share with you. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, Temptation is is difficult to bear, but we have the promise here, and I guess we can share this promise, not only as a panel, but with all of those who are hearing this program, that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. The text does not say that he will take away the temptation. It says that he will give you the strength to stand up under it, which if you go back to your crucible example, Ken, is part of the process of refining our character. The other comment that I immediately came to my mind that I wanted to share with you was this. Of all the gifts that heaven can bestow upon men, fellowship with Christ in his sufferings is the most weighty trust and the highest honour. I think that's a great statement. Ben? There's a section in the scripture in Luke chapter 13 where Jesus is talking to a group of people, and this little section is entitled Repent or Perish. And uh, he, Jesus refers to a couple of incidents that happen in the area uh, where he spent his time while on earth. And in Luke 13, verse 4, he refers to the 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them. Obviously, this tower collapsed. And then he asked the question, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? Well, of course, they weren't. It was just one of those things. However, he then goes on to use that as a little object lesson. And he says, I tell you, unless you repent, you too will all perish. 
So although sometimes we have things, bad things happen to us as Christians, that's not the end of the matter. The end of the matter is unless we repent of our sins and accept the salvation given to us through Jesus, we will perish. So as I said a bit before, the things that may happen to us now, while they may inconvenience us, they might even dishearten us at times, those things are relatively unimportant compared to the glory which God's faithful people will have after Jesus has come back again. I'd just like to add a point here for the people listening to this. We don't want it to come across as if we're saying that if you're a Christian that you're going to have a terrible time in this earth and you're going to have unsurmountable problems. As we look at the Bible, uh, Jesus is trying to explain and the disciples are trying to explain to us that because we are Christians, yes, we will have these issues, but there's just as many other people in the world who are non-believers have terrible situations happen to them as well. We're not necessarily set aside for extra problems. However, one of the things that is happening to is that God is, through the trials and tribulations that we do have, he is getting us ready to enter the kingdom of heaven because it's a very special place and we have to have a certain character to get there. And these trials and tribulations are to help to guide us to reach that stage where Jesus says, come to the place that has been prepared for you. I think it's also amazing that it's very clear from what we've read so far that Satan is certainly the ruler of this world. Brendan? Yeah, just quickly, I think it's not so much the trials and um, suffering uh, that's important, Ken, it's how we respond to it that is important. The other thing that I think as Christians uh, God wants us to learn is this, and Len touched on it. I think God wants us to learn not to take the short-term view of what we're going through right now and how it's affecting me or how it's affecting my family. He wants us to take the long-term view because the whole of this study relates to being suffering for Christ. That's a point we haven't touched on yet. Peter talks about it. Various other uh, writers talk about the fact that if we are suffering for Christ, Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, if you are persecuted for my name's sake, there's a big difference between the normal suffering that goes on in the world and being persecuted for my name's sake. I think we need to be very clear. There needs to be a great deal of clarity in our minds as to the fact that there is a difference between the two. If we are doing what God wants us to do, and we're still being persecuted, both externally and maybe even by members of our own family, or dare I say it, even in our own uh, um, church family, we need to recognise that God has promised that he'll still be with us. Uh, but we need to view, take the long-term view. What is the end product? When Will talked about annealing, the end product is purity. And Revelation 14 tells us that those who stand on the sea of glass will have their father's name on their foreheads. Father's name is just another name for character. They will have their father's character. It will have been through the furnace of trial. Absolutely. But we have seen that Satan is the ruler of this world. But, Will, is this mentioned anywhere else in the Bible? 
Yes, in fact, there is a, there are three references. I'd like to refer to John 12, verse 31, which says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now it shall the prince of this world be cast out. Talking about Satan. Yes. Another reference is in John 14, verse 30. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world, Satan, cometh, but he hath nothing in me. There's one further reference in John 16, 11, where Jesus refers to a judgment in which Satan, whom he calls the ruler of this world, is judged. You know, Ken, Paul says in Romans 6, verse 16, don't you realize that you've become a slave of whoever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. I see a perspective here. In this way, also, Satan is the ruler of this world, if you think about it. Simply because the majority of the world choose to obey him instead of God. So, Satan's rule becomes very widespread indeed on this earth. I think God, quite Jesus, quite justly calls him the prince of this world. Yes, that's, uh, that really is amazing. I'm sure many people will be surprised to hear this, but the Bible makes it very clear. Satan is the ruler of this world and is out to destroy it and everyone on it. God in the past has restricted his influence but as we see society pull further and further away, God in turn is slowly removing his protection from the earth and letting people see there is also sin as Satan has his way over this world. Now we know that Satan causes death and destruction and sickness for all people. But sometimes God gives us some problem in our lives. Nick, can you tell us an example of this? We already mentioned a bit about uh, the great man of God, which uh, at some time was Saul, and we know about him um, and his uh, passion to even uh, kill and destroy those people who are uh, giving their lives to God and follow him, because he thought that that's, that's right. But this man, he came across Jesus as the Bible puts it, and he was transformed, he was changed, and he had an amazing walk with God. And I would like to bring a story here. I mean, mainly he talking in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, he talked about some um, experience he had with God, some visions, you know, or he even said that he doesn't know exactly how it was, even he was taken in flesh or in uh, just... Uh, had, was a vision that he was taken to the third heaven. And he's making a, a case here. He said, you know what? I could boast of this. Uh, what a privilege I had. And we can fall into that trap sometime. But he said, he continued, and I will invite uh, our listener to read this uh, chapter, chapter 12, because it's uh, it's beautiful. And you'll get the picture of uh, what we're talking about here, because Paul then said... Even though I can boast of some of the experiences with God, I'm choosing not to do that. But he's talking about, and I'll pick up uh, in verse 7, 
it says here, even though I had received such wonderful revelation from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Wow, that's very interesting. I was given from Satan, you know, a a thorn in my flesh. And I would like to suggest that Paul is talking about here about his uh, uh, short sight. Uh, that was the thorn in his flesh that he could not see properly. And if you know about Paul a bit, you know, even when he wrote many of the uh, letters, you know, and um, his, you know, many churches, he had a scribe, somebody else to write for him because he was not able probably to, to, yeah, to see and write. But what I like about this is that he chooses to boast of the weakness in his flesh. Why? Because we can put ourselves in the same shoes. And if we have an uh, an issue going on in our life, we should not be discouraged. We should not be turned away from God, but we should praise God and worship him that we can do other things. And indeed, Paul did amazing things for um, his relationship with God, but for us all, because we have a lot of letters from him. And that thorn in the flesh, which Paul talks about here, is to keep him humble, is to keep him, you know, not to boast about many other things, which sometimes we as Christians, we have the tendency or temptation to put us above other people because we know more or we have experiences with God and we we look at other people say poor people uh, that they don't allow God to do this and that in their life I think we should represent God before the whole world with everything what's going on in our life and if we have a struggle we'll give it to the Lord and we'll be radiant you know we'll be thankful that uh, Whatever is going on in our life, we suffer because we serve God. Yeah, there is a lot to talk about this aspect, but an example is, yeah, Paul. He was uh, an amazing tool in God's hands to reveal God's will to to us as Christians. And still he had a lot of um, issues in his life. And that was one of the thorns which he experienced. Brenton? In just an analogy that uh, we might find interesting, uh, I try and go to the gym four or five times a week. I'm hoping to go to the gym again this afternoon. Some of the things I do in gym training is called resistance training. What resistance training does is it's slimming my body down, hopefully, but it's also building my muscles up and giving me greater strength, and I've noticed the difference already. I believe if you transfer that into spiritual life, Um, The more resisting of the devil that you have to do, the stronger becomes your ability, first of all, to resist. But secondarily, I believe it also teaches you your total and utter dependence upon God. So that the more uh, temptation that comes your way, the more suffering that comes your way, the, the greater you should be 
able to cling to God's hand and say, Lord, I can't handle this, but you have promised in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you will not give me anything that I'm not able to bear, but you will give me a way to stand up under it. And I think that's an amazing promise. And Paul must have, well, Paul wrote that promise in First Corinthians. He must have been aware of that, what he had written to the Corinthian church on many occasions when he was going through this issue with his eyesight that Nick was talking about. It's interesting what we have been speaking about and the thought of having trials and tribulations in the Christian life doesn't sound that wonderful. But if we can step back for a minute and look at it from a different angle, and the angle I want to use as an example today is this. In the Western world, generally, we're very well off. I myself, I've lived in South America and Colombia for a while, and they're extremely poor people over there. Obviously, the cartels and people in the drugs are extremely wealthy, but I'd say probably 98%, 99% of everybody else is very, very poor. Now, one of the fascinating things I found over there that the churches are packed to the doors. I attended church over there, even though it's in Spanish, and I really didn't understand a word they said. But uh, nevertheless, they were packed to the doors, and you have to get there early to get a seat because they're standing remotely. And most of the churches, not just Adventists, most of the churches have at least two or three meetings a day. Now, the reason for that is that the people literally have nothing except their faith in the Lord. They really are very, very poor. When you look at the Western world, what we've got, really, we live as millionaires in many cases. And in most times, if we're down and out, we can get help in some way or another. In these third world countries, they don't have any of that. They really are relying on themselves. I think if we can look at it from that point of view, if you're a Christian at the moment, you're having these really hard, difficult trials, you have to try and believe it's good for you and God can see things that you cannot see. Mm. Len? Nick was talking about the Apostle Paul. And in Second Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul um, was not talking just about the what he described, the thorn in the flesh. He was talking about some of the difficulties he had to go through. I'll just read a little part of this. He said, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in dangers from rivers, bandits, my own countrymen. And he goes on. I've laboured and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I've faced the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. So here he's um, just outlining some of the difficulties he went through. And then he points in chapter 12, he says, The Lord says to him, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses and the troubles that he's had, so that Christ's power may rest in me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, is for when I am weak, then I am strong in the Lord. So we should not be too concerned about the little things that happen to us. I don't think any of us can have a, uh, a list of all the troubles we've had like Paul did, but he gives the glory to God. And we can expect difficulties, but it's also very good to give the glory to God for what he's done in us and for us. Just to add on to what Len has said, while, while all lives have their challenges and, their, and the Christian may and will find that he or she is at odds with the world around them, and this, this is often difficult and may grieve us, but, and this is a big but, we need to focus on God and praising God rather than focusing on the trials or difficulties. We mustn't focus on the hardships, but on the bounty, the absolute bounty of God's gifts that he showers us with. Um, sometimes we can, oh, the devil did this and, you know, woe is me. And, you know, you do hear people go on about it, but really we need to turn away from the thorns and just admire the roses and the beauty that God has given us. That's an excellent point. We see many stories in the Bible where God's people, even his very special people, prophets and leaders, had difficult times and trials. But through it all, they hung in there, even on to death. Lecha. Yes, we know stories in the Bible of people who allowed God to transform them, like David, through all his uh, ups and downs life, Paul, John the Baptist, positive personalities who accepted to be refined, and Job also, and many, many others. But on the other hand, there are negative examples like uh, Cain. Cain, he didn't allow God to refine him. Pharaoh, God worked with Pharaoh so hard in so many ways for Pharaoh to see that there is a God, a creator, and Pharaoh just, he opposed, opposed so many times and he was lost. Mm. So when you oppose yourself, you'll be lost. Mm. I just want uh, to add also something. Uh, all this uh, discussion we had about suffering and about the experience with God, we can look from different uh, points of view and even judge sometimes, saying, and unfortunately this was the case uh, in history, when when people were suffering, the others were judging them that they uh, uh, they are punished by God or they are... Uh, walking astray from God and all those things. But the suffering for us Christians, it's also an uh, object lesson, if you like. And many people can see when they will, will see how we're going through suffering, not uh, just complaining or being miserable or like that. When they will see how we're going through, they will really ask questions and they would like to know more about how we can go through such things 
if we have a God. And I would like to just point out this. You may recall the hardship and the experience Christians had during the dark ages, during those time of persecution, when the whole world, you know, was in war uh, with what happened. And say, how can these people go even to death with such a uh, trust in God? And sometimes even with, with they, they face shine because of uh, trusting God. But I think this was the point I want to make. If we're going through sufferings and we're going with God, then other people will see and will be encouraged rather than discouraged. Nick, that's very true. It reminds me of Proverbs 17 and verse 22. A merry heart doeth good like medicine, but a broken heart dries the bones. And even though we may be facing difficult times, if we can face it, with some sort of cheeriness and I don't know if happiness is the right word, but if we can be cheery about it and realize that if it's how we face it and how we, how we uh, look at it, it can help you overcome it. Leon, you have something you'd like to share with us? Yes, well, the question is, does God um, permit or give um, difficulties to pop up in the lives of Christians? I'd like to read this beautiful quote from the book of Ministry of Healing, page 471. He who reads the hearts of men knows their characters better than they themselves know them. He sees that some have powers and susceptibilities which, rightly directed, might be used in the advancement of his work. In his providence, he brings these persons into different positions and varied circumstances that they may discover in their character the defects which have been concealed from their own knowledge. He gives them opportunity to correct these defects and fit themselves for his service. Often, he permits the fires of affliction to assail them that they might be purified. So we mustn't expect everything to be fine and dandy. God allows these things for our own benefit, for our own purification. Thank you, Liam. Well, listeners, I hope today's study has helped you to understand better the life of a Christian. It's not all bed and roses. Sometimes we face very difficult times, which can come from many directions. But as you read God's word, you see that God was always with his people and still is today. He has promised to never leave you. He is your anchor in every storm, your strength in every weakness, your hope when things look bad, your compass when you get lost, your good shepherd watching over you. Brenton, would you close in prayer? Certainly, uh, Ken. Father in heaven, thank you for the study today that we've been able to share. Lord, I just want to ask a couple of things. First of all, what a privilege it is to share in Christ's sufferings, if they are indeed the sufferings that are brought about because we are standing for what we believe you would have us to know. We recognise from our study today 
the importance of character refinement through the crucible of um, the fiery sufferings that we've been referring to. But, Lord, help us as we go through life and as we know and are assured of your care over us, rather than overanalyzing what is happening to us, Lord, help us to accept it humbly and faithfully and to trust you and know that there is absolutely nothing that you will allow to happen to us other than that which is for our best good ultimately and also for your glory. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us to follow you. May our listeners have that desire to follow you. May they know that through whatever lies ahead, God is already there. He has made a way of escape and he will be by their side. We thank you for hearing us this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. These are very um, challenging uh, Bible study. It's not uh, nice or easy to talk about suffering, but uh, we are reminded that we are in crucible with Christ. We are not on our own. We are inviting you next time to join us when we are going to look a little bit more the bird cage. Now, even though we may be enclosed in a bird cage, it's important if we continue to sing there or uh, being miserable. May God bless you. And until then, keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.